Hey everyone, we're back this week with our new health series called Hormone Happy Hour that I do with Kea Perowit, my dear co-host on the series and co-founder in our business, Bia Wellness. And every Wednesday, Hormone Happy Hour will feature an in-depth interview with a leading women's health expert. Each expert will teach you step-by-step how to eat, think, and move in a way that is designed to help you feel great and create an abundance of energy in your life so you can build your own empire. Empire. Now let's jump into this week's episode. I hope you enjoy it. Today we are talking all about hormonal birth control. So if you are on birth control or you're looking to get off birth control or someone you know is on birth control or you're looking to switch the type of birth control you're on, this episode is for you. We talked to Dr. Sarah Hill, who is the birth control expert. I love this episode, Kea. I personally was on birth control when I was a teenager because I had debilitating PMS. I didn't know anything else to do. And that's something my doctor recommended. And I wish, I really, really wish I listened to this episode because I definitely wasn't educated. I personally dealt with so many repercussions getting off the pill, which is a huge reason we started BIA. And it was just so fascinating because Dr. Sarah Hill is such an expert and she's literally walking through the science of how birth control impacts and changes your brain. And I was just so fascinated and I felt like we couldn't stop asking questions between me and you, Kea. I know it was such an amazing conversation and there's a lot to consider when it comes to hormonal birth control. Some people take it to prevent pregnancy Some people take it to help with their debilitating periods like you were doing, Yasmin. Some people need it for preventing just all kinds of medical issues. So this is definitely not a knock on hormonal birth control. It's more a conversation and an opportunity for us to talk about what are your choices, what are your options, what are some of the side effects that you might need to consider, and hopefully looking forward or looking toward a future in which we have better options for birth control. So I think people are really going to enjoy this one. In this week's episode, we're joined by Dr. Sarah Hill. She's a researcher and professor at TCU and author of the book, This Is Your Brain on Birth control, the surprising science of women, hormones, and the law of unintended consequences. In addition to being at the forefront of research on women's sexual psychology, Sarah is also a speaker, consultant, and media expert in the area of women's hormones and sexual psychology. So let's get into it. Well, Sarah, we're so excited that you're here. Kay and I are big fans of you and your work, and we just so appreciate just how your wealth of information and just incredibly helpful when it comes to whether someone should or shouldn't take birth control, which is a topic we talk a lot about. But I want to talk about a question we get often at our company, which is, what do you think are maybe some of the biggest concerns when it comes to long-term use of hormonal birth control? I think that the thing that I hear the most frequently is, you know, well, there's, there's two. So one is, does it affect my, like who I am permanently? Right. And so if you're on it for a really long time, then does that cause permanent structural change in your psychology or within your body? And, you know, and the answer to that seems to be no, which is great news Um, unless you start. Here's the, the question mark. So if you start taking it when you're like 19 and older, so once you're an adult and your brain is mostly done developing, um, then it seems like things go back to normal. Um, once you're off of it, sort of back to normal. Um, but for people who take it as teenagers, we don't yet know the answer to that because um, when you're in the pubertal transition, um, the sort of lead 
you know, the, the hormone that's like kind of coordinating a lot of those uh, post-pubertal brain changes are your sex hormones. And so when you have your sex hormones flatlined with hormonal birth control, then that probably, I mean, the, the potential is definitely there that it's going to impact uh, post-pubertal brain development. And we just don't know because there's not a lot of research on adolescent birth control use and like what that does in terms of like development and structural change. We don't know a whole lot just yet about what that might do. And so I always, you know, sort of that with adolescence aside, um, just knowing that you go that you will go back to normal, I think can be really comforting to a lot of women. You know, your book is called This Is Your Brain on Birth Control. And I don't think people automatically assume or recognize that hormonal birth control can have an impact on their brain. They might like see it as completely separate things. So what's actually happening in the brain when somebody's on hormonal birth control? Yeah, no, that's a really fascinating question. And it's really interesting because that is a blind spot that we all have, right? It's like we take the pill to prevent ovulation because we don't want to get pregnant. And we never think about the fact that when we ovulate, that's what creates our hormones. And our brain runs on lots of things. But one of those things that impacts what our brain does is our hormones. Um, and the, the way that the pill works, actually, it, the first line of action is the brain. And so when you take a synthetic uh, birth control or in all birth control synthetic, but whenever you take a, you know, these, when you take these synthetic hormones, um, you're getting a relatively low dose of estradiol. Um, and then you're getting this relatively high dose of this synthetic progesterone or progestin. And that progestin actually gets picked up by your hypothalamus and your brain. And then that is what like tells the ovaries not to start stimulating egg follicles. And so even the prevention of ovulation starts in the brain. And, um, and so essentially when we're asking the question, like what does hormonal birth control do to the brain? The question is what happens when we shut down ovulation? And so to, to answer that, and you know, the way I start out the book is the first couple of chapters are just laying the groundwork of what women are like when they're not on hormonal birth control. So essentially, like, what is it that our sex hormones do in the brain? And, you know, our sex hormones are a really important part of what our brain uses to create the experience of being the person we are. And even though we tend to only think about our hormones in terms of like, oh no, do I have a skin breakout or, oh no, my, um, you know, uh, this uh, period related symptom or that period related symptom, um, they are like a key part of things like our motivational state, our sexual desire, things like attraction. They play a role in how we regulate our stress response. They play a role in how we regulate our immune function. I mean, they, they, they affect our body from head to toe. And, um, and just to give some of the areas that we cover in the book is we talk about some of the ways that hormonal birth control is known to be linked with changes um, in like the types of people that people are attracted to and their levels of sexual desire and the way that they regulate stress and also their you know, mental health and their um, emotional states and motivational states and our response to pleasurable things. I mean, it affects everything. And, um, and so the, the book is, is essentially, it's lifting that veil because I think that a lot of times when we're taking a medication, because we're taking it for the effect it has on the ovaries, that's all that we're really thinking about with it. And we have this blind spot to such a degree, um, and this is embarrassing to admit, I admit it in my book, so I'll just admit it here too. And that is, here I was, you know, because I, I got, I was in a PhD program in psychology 
And so I'd spent much of my early career studying women's sexual psychology and studying motivation and also studying hormones. And so I'd, I'd, I'd published papers on the impact of women's changing sex hormones over the cycle and the way that that influences women's motivational state. So I'm publishing this paper, I'm aware of this research and all that at the same time, I'm taking hormonal birth control and never thinking twice about the idea that that might affect my motivational states and what I'm attracted to and all these other things that I've been publishing on about regular hormones. It just like never even dawned on me that, oh, well, if I don't have these processes going on, then who am I? Like, like what am I, like, what do I become? And that is really, you know, part of the, the, the question that we answer in the book is like, who does a woman become when she's on this drug that nobody's really spent any time asking that question until very recently? Man, it's crazy because I was also on birth control for so long, like in my adolescent years. So I'm so fascinated with what might might have impacted my brain now as an adult because I was on it for quite a long time. But it's so interesting because you mentioned like you just get used to taking it. You don't even think like you're doing all these papers and research and you're like, oh gosh, I'm taking birth control, but we just get so used to it. So I'd love to hear more about your story. Like what was the aha moment for you when you realized like, oh, this is actually impacting me. Let me kind of look into this and go deeper. So there were two, well, there was three things, but the, the two biggies um, are the, the first one was um, I went off of it. So I was on hormonal birth control for 12, almost 12 years. And, uh, and I was on it pretty consistently, except for when I went off of it to have my kids. And, um, and I got pregnant really quickly with both my kids. So I didn't have a big gap of time that I wasn't on it. Um, it was like, I was on it. And then all of a sudden I was pregnant and then I was lactating and then I was back on it and then I was pregnant and then I was lactating. And, um, and it was after that, um, that it was about, I don't know, like, I think my son was two and I was, I told my partner, I'm like, okay, you need to get a vasectomy because I'm done with hormonal birth control. Even though I never thought I had any problems with it. You know, I, I tolerated it fine. And then he went off of it. And then about three months later, I was like, oh, hello. Um, and I was noticing that I was like going to the gym more frequently again. And I was downloading new music for the first time in a decade like I was just like really into music and like downloading new songs and I downloaded Pandora and I was listening to different stations and I was really into my libido like came back because I had thought that I had just kind of outgrown sex you know I just thought oh that was you know when I was in my early 20s like um but I, I just thought that I just wasn't really into it and then everything just came back and I just felt so alive in a way that I hadn't felt alive. And I was like, wait, did my birth control have something to do with the fact that I was feeling so one dimensional? And then I was like, ah, you know, maybe a little bit, but whatever, you can revisit that another day. And I didn't think anything too much of it. But then about six months after that, I was at a research talk by a friend of mine who studies stress. And he was talking about the results of a study that he had done and that they had collected data on something like 750 people and that they'd only analyzed the data from the men in their sample because it turns out that almost all of the women in their study were on hormonal birth control. And everybody knows that women on hormonal birth control don't have a cortisol response to stress or a stress hormone response to stress. And I was like, wait, what? Like, 
everybody knows that women on hormonal birth control don't have a cortisol response to stress. Like that's really serious because that's the kind of pattern that you see in people who have like PTSD, right? That's like a, a trauma type of a stress response. So I waited until the talk was over because that was all I could think about. And, and I went and I approached him and I said, is that really true? Is it true that women who are on the pill um, don't have a stress hormone response to stress? And he said, yeah, you know, I was really surprised by it too. But then I went to the research literature and lo and behold, they've been publishing on this since the 90s. And I was like, what? And so, because here I was, you know, I'm a psychologist and I study women and, I'm, and I was on the pill and I was like, this is insane. So I went back to my research lab and I dug, I dug around in the literature and sure enough, there's a bunch of papers that have been published to this very effect. And anyway, this was when I had sort of that aha moment where I was like, of course, the pill causes differences in the stress response. Of course, you know, I felt different when I went off the pill, like the pill changes your hormones and your brain uses your hormones to create the experience of being the person you are. So of course the pill changed me, like being the pill, you know, being on the pill changes everything. And that was what led me then to begin doing research over the next several years into the different ways that hormonal birth control affects the brain and our psychological responses and, and our behavior. And it, you know, it was really in part like my own experiences. And then you know, learning that the pill affects something as far removed from sex as the stress response. And in this way, that's really not healthy. Like this is a kind of thing that we tend to see in trauma victims because it's usually indicative of somebody who has been so overwhelmed with stress that their body just shuts down the stress response. It'll just say, all right, nope, no more stress hormones um, because stress hormones can be really damaging to the body if we experience them for long periods of time. And so what the body does in cases of trauma is it'll just shut down the stress response. And that's what we also see in women who are on hormonal birth control. And this is, again, it's not something that women know about. And so when I went back and I saw the research that had been done and everything ranging from mood and then the stress response and then things like attraction and sexual desire. And I was like, nobody knows, women don't know any of this. Um, that was what motivated me to write the book because I knew that that information needed to be out there. So that way women could be given a language to describe what they're experiencing. Cause so many, I mean, I don't know about you all, but most women I know like have some stories about what, the, you know, what happened when they were on hormonal birth control. And a lot of times um, up until the time that this book was written, it, it was like very hard to find validation from that um, because people like a lot of times women's doctors would make them feel like they were imagining things and there wasn't any research that women knew anything about that was validating their experiences. And so I wanted to provide this as sort of a, a, a framework for women to understand that these are the range of things that can potentially happen when you're using hormonal birth control and then be able to have conversations about it with their healthcare providers, with other women, with their partners, and, um, and then be able to make the most informed decisions about their health that they can. Wow. I will admit, I'm not a birth control expert. I had no idea about the stress response. Same. Also too, I grew up in a traditional house, Indian household where like, you don't talk about birth control. <laughs> like that's just not even <laughs> like, not even a topic of conversation, but, um, what's the mechanism there? Is it the progestin? What, how does that happen? Yeah, that's a really great question. And what the current wisdom is, is that some of the progestins, because they don't have really good binding specificity for progesterone receptors, 
that they also will bind to other types of receptors in the brain and in, elsewhere in the body. And um, in that one of those types of receptors that it binds to are glucocorticoid receptors, which pick up cortisol. And so when you have, and so essentially what it might be doing is creating within the body, this hyperactivated mm -hmm. stress response where cortisol receptors are being stimulated in this huge amounts because of the amount of progestin in these pills. And, um, and that leading the body to think that there's something terrible that's happening and then shutting down the stress response. And the body does this by releasing a ton of what you know, what's known as, um, this is a terrible word. <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> It's, um, <laughs> it's, it's, I, I can't, I'm not even say it, but it's, um, it's, it's basically cortisol binding globulin, but there's this glucocorticoid binding globulin. And so, um, it's this binding globulin. Essentially what it does, it binds to cortisol and makes it inactive. And that's what causes the blunting of the stress response. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it every effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com and check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to today's episode. So remember, Remind me, so when we shut down the stress response, what are the the feelings that someone might get? So you said like it's it's frequent in PTSD patients. So do they have feelings of overwhelm or more, or more heightened anxiety? Like what is a repercussion of that? Yeah, no, right. Because and that's a really great question too. Because it, it, sometimes when people hear that, they think, well, that yeah, sounds yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> like you can please please shut down my stress response. Um, and, uh, and, and, and yes. And so when we're experiencing stress, just like really quickly to give people a little bit of, um, sort of orient them to what happens when you're stressed out, there's, there's two things that happen. The one thing is that your sympathetic stress response goes off and that's the stress that most of us feel. So like if your heart starts to race and your breath gets fast or your voice catches, and um, that's, that's your sympathetic response. And women who are on the pill have that in, totally intact. And so they still experience the same feeling of stress. But what happens, what cortisol does, is it actually helps the body cope with stress and be able to resolve the stress and allow you to learn from stress. So some of the things that it does, for example, is it leads to the birth of new neurons in the hippocampus. And so it gets the brain primed for learning. So that way, whatever it is that's happening that's meaningful, our brain will absorb and then take in that experience. It also helps our, it dumps like fat and sugar into our bloodstream that allows us to be able to manage the stressor, both physically, um, like if we need to get away, like run away from a lion or a tiger, um, but then also giving our brain the blood and, um, and the glucose and, and, and fats that it needs in order to do all of this stuff like birthing new neurons. And so it, it helps to return, it helps us to, us to return to homeostasis. It essentially helps bring us back to normal um, and, and cope from and learn from the stress. 
And, uh, and so what happens if you don't have that going on and like what we see in the, in the context of PTSD is yes, feelings of overwhelm and not being able to cope. And so what this tends to do is it tends to lead to a depression and anxiety. And lo and behold, you know, there's this literature that finds that being on hormonal birth control is linked with both of those factors, both stress, um, pardon me, both um, uh, anxiety and depression. And this could be one of the mechanisms. Cortisol is also so important for our immunity. So is there any connection between like low immunity or getting sick more often in birth control? I love these questions. I feel like I could have just been spoon feeding all these questions because we actually just did a study. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's that's like such a that's such a smart question because um so cortisol one of the things that it does is it regulates the immune system. It it turns the volume um, up and down on inflammatory activity in the body. And so one you know question that you get is you know if you turn down the volume on cortisol, which turns down the volume on inflammation, does that then lead to runaway inflammation? And, um, and there is some research linking, for example, um, hormonal birth control pill use with heightened levels of CRP, which is C-reactive protein, which is something that is, a is an indirect measure of the levels of inflammation in the body. And so what we wanted to do and what we did is we recently conducted a study that just came out. It, like I literally just got the preprint like yesterday and um, looking at um, the, the uh, inflammatory response to stress in women who are using hormonal birth control compared to natural cyclers. And nobody had looked at that yet, which to me was really surprising. And so what we did is we brought women into the lab and we stressed them out. And we do this by making them give um, uh, like, an, like a speech, like an impromptu speech in front of a video camera. And then we make them do math, like really complicated math problems. <laughs> yeah, it's like really awful. They hate it. And, and like all the people like look at them while they're like giving their talk. And if they if they have time left, because we tell them they have to do it for five minutes, then the, the researchers will say, you need to continue for five minutes. And they'll say, I have nothing else to say. They'll say, then just repeat what you said. And, and then we make them count backwards in steps of 13 from like 1,145 or something. And, and if they mess up, they have to start over. And so it's just, it's horrible. And, um, and so it really stresses everybody out. And what we looked at is we looked at women's um, uh, cortisol and then their um, and then their inflammation levels in response to the stressor. And what we found with the women on hormonal birth control that was so fascinating is that um, is that they had a different inflammatory profile in response to stress um, relative to the the naturally cycling women. And in particular, what we found was that the women who were on the pill um, so rather than having, because uh, what we found in our natural cyclers is that their response to stress was very much in, mediated through this. It's, it's a pro-inflammatory cytokine, but it's, it's IL-6, it's interleukin-6, and this is, and it's an inflammatory, so just think of it as an inflammatory factor, um, but it's one that is both inflammatory and anti-inflammatory. It's, it's got these, we, we release a lot of this type of inflammation after we exercise, for example, because our body is broken down muscle, you know, and then it's, it's helping to rebuild that. And so it's got this sort of, you know, um, it's got these dual properties. And what we see with women on the pill is their, their um, inflammatory response is more heavily dominated toward what's known as um, tumor necrosis alpha, tumor necrosis factor alpha, TNF alpha. Um, they have more of a, a strong TNF alpha response to um, stress. And this is actually the type of inflammatory activity that is oftentimes linked with autoimmunity. 
Um, so this is the type of inflammatory factor that's really um, is, is most strongly implicated in autoimmunity. And in fact, many of the, um, the, the medications that exist on the market that are to help minimize the effects of autoimmunity are TNF alpha blockers. Um, because it's so implicated in those uh, in the etiology of that disease. And so um, we think this is really interesting because, of course, women who are on the pill, we now know are at a heightened risk for the development of many autoimmune diseases. And we think that this could potentially be one of the links that's um, playing a role in that. And so that's one of the things that we're going to begin to look into. I'm mind blown right now. I think I should be part of your study because looking back, I'm off birth control over the past few years and, you know, it's been an incredible journey now, but looking back, I I was in a very stressful job. So stress levels were high, clearly wasn't operating in the right way because I was on birth control, but I did have two autoimmune flare ups like in those times. And now, you know, obviously I still deal with stress, but I have not had that autoimmune flare up since post birth birth control, excuse me. So that is like mind blowing. Cause I'm like, where did this come from? Like I'm relatively healthy. I mean, I definitely was stressed at the time work-wise, but that's fascinating. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And what, so, and, and there's probably two things going on there. So one is the progestins, you know, in the pill potentially monk, you know, when they monkey with the uh, the cortisol response are going to be monkeying with inflammatory activity. But another thing, and, and this is something that I've really, be, I'm really interested in, and I began kind of d- digging into it, is, um, is the absence of progesterone. Because, you know, when you're on hormonal birth control, those progestins, like that is not progesterone. Um, and most of them are synthesized from testosterone. And, um, and, and they don't get metabolized by the body in the same way. They don't have the same types of metabolites. Um, they, they don't have the same kinds of properties as re- real deal progesterone. And one of progesterone's like big properties in the body is that it's incredibly anti-inflammatory. Um, it shifts the body from a really like a pro-inflammatory state into an anti-inflammatory state. And, um, and it does this, that way our bodies can get pregnant because if we didn't, um, if we have this, you know, foreign DNA that's trying to invade our, um, our uterus, like our body would say, oh, that's a pathogen. And then it would try to kill the embryo. Um, and so we, we shift into this, um, into this anti-inflammatory state to allow for the possibility of pregnancy. Um, but like what this also creates is for naturally cycling women is we're constant, you know, we, we wax and wane between this pro-inflammatory state and this anti-inflammatory state. And it acts as this really nice check within the body um, to sort of keep inflammatory activity at bay and to keep it tamped down. And so one of the, um, one of the things that might be going on there is women who are on hormonal birth control aren't getting that same break on their immune system. They're just like constantly in the more pro-inflammatory state without having that exposure to actual progesterone, which is so immunomodulatory. And, um, and this also could be a contributing factor, which I think is really interesting. It's so interesting to me. I watched another interview where you were discussing the difference between progestin and then, for example, postmenopausal women or menopausal women or perimenopausal women who use bioidentical progesterone or something like that. And, I, and it hit me. I never thought about it. Why can't we use what they're using? Right. Because it doesn't have the same side effects. Can you talk about like what are the barriers there? Well, so I have wondered the same question. OK, because it seemed crazy to me. So here's here's what I do. You guys know who, surely, you know, Laura Bryden, right? Yes. 
yeah, so she wrote the period repair manual and she's just awesome and because I'm not a physician, you know, I'm a psych, I'm a research psychologist. And so like, and I understand progesterone to the extent, you know, that I understand hormones and, and th what their properties are, but I'm not into pharma dynamics. That's like not my area of expertise. And so I, I asked her, I said, why don't they make birth control out of progesterone? Like, cause that just seems nuts to me. And she said that her, her thought was that it was because the levels of progesterone, like actual progesterone that you would need to take to shut down the brain ovary axis enough to suppress ovulation would be like so high that you would, it would have caused too much fatigue or something like that. I don't know. But, and, and so, and, and that seems like a reasonable, and, 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 and she's really smart. And so um, I think that that sounds kind of reasonable, but then I'm like, are we sure? Like, are we sure? Like, and so I have thought, <laughs> because this is the kind of researcher I am. I've thought, I could, and I also have access to progesterone. I have thought about seeing what I can do and then measuring my ovulation, like taking like three progesterone in the, um, like every day and just like seeing if I shut down my, my HPG. That would be really interesting. Cause is it, is it basic that like a hormonal birth control tricks your body into thinking it's, it's pregnant essentially, right? Well, essentially it tricks the body into thinking that you're in the luteal phase okay. of the cycle. Because okay. anytime your body's releasing progesterone, that means that um, that you have an empty egg follicle that's hanging out there. And that means that you should not stimulate new egg follicles because there's a chance that this egg that you just released might implant and you might be pregnant. And so it's actually kind of tricking your brain into thinking they're in the second half of the cycle, the luteal phase. Because, um, and then what happens is this little endocrine structure that releases, because um, how it all happens is, you know, you, you are stimulating, your egg follicles get stimulated. Like when you first start your period, your egg follicles get stimulated by your brain. And then that causes um, an egg to mature. And as it starts to mature, it releases estrogen. And so then we're getting all bathed with estrogen and everything's so estrogen is great. And then we ovulate. And then we have this empty egg follicle and, and, and ovulation usually happens around day 14. Then we have this empty egg follicle that will only, and, and it turns into an empty or uh, temporary endocrine structure called the corpus luteum, but, and it'll only stay intact for 14 days, um, unless a pregnancy takes hold. And so what happens is it starts releasing progesterone and the progesterone will get released for about 14 days. And if an embryo doesn't implant, it disintegrates and goes away. And then progesterone is no longer being released. And then that big hormone crash um, tells our brain to start stimulating our ovaries. And so that's a cycle. And so when we're taking the pill, you know, it's, it's like if we take a, some level of, of progesterone, like a relatively high level of progesterone, it should be telling our brain mm -hmm. not to stimulate our ovaries, mm -hmm. which is why I'm like, I bet if I took three. Keep us <laughs> that would be such a cool experiment. I know. I mean, seriously, no, I really want to do it. And I, I'm thinking about just starting on myself because I, I, we do this sorts of thing in the lab all the time. Like we'll have like a crazy idea and we'll draw our own blood and like go in the lab and monkey around with it and like, and see what we can learn. And, um, and this is one that I've been considering doing. I'm like, oh, it'll make, it might make me bad crazy for a month, but in the name <laughs> of science. You will do it. For time. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I might do that. I'll let you guys know if I do, because I've been toying with the idea because it just seems so nuts to me because I've asked this question so many times and I don't know. And it's not that I don't believe the answers I'm being given. I just wonder whether they're wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, imagine 
if it worked, <laughs> it would be groundbreaking because there would be an, an option for people that didn't have maybe potentially like hundreds of horrible side effects. Right. And it would be so much better. And the cool thing about progesterone is that it's in, because I'm, I'm reading about, I'm writing a new book right now and, and it has a lot to do with progesterone. And so I'm reading a lot about it. And um, one of the cool things about it is that we seem to build up tolerance for it, but like in a good way. So, because when you take it, um, if you take it like uh, orally or if you're taking any sort of progesterone supplement, um, you get really tired. It makes you really sleepy. But after about a, like after you take it for a little while, you become tolerant to that and you no longer feel that way. But it, according to my readings anyway, the HPG axis, right? So the brain ovary axis does not develop tolerance. And that would suggest that you could take that really high dose and you would adjust to it psychologically where you wouldn't be feeling tired, but it would still shut down your ovaries, which is what we would want it to do. And so that's why, that's what brought me back to the question of like, all right, I need to do this. I need to do this study on myself and see if this works. Um, and I have a friend who's a, who works for a naturopath and she said that when she was like getting ready for her honeymoon, that she was using progesterone cream every because she was supposed to get her period and she was using progesterone every day to postpone it. And so I'm like, it has to work. Yeah. There's definitely something here. I feel like we're all going to come back in five years and be like, remember when? And now look at this. Yeah, no, totally. Totally. Yeah, no, I think it's so interesting, right? So interesting. I, I mean, I want to talk about this huge subject of birth control, changing your preference for a partner, because I know this is a very hot topic. Yasmin and I have seen videos of women saying, oh, I got off birth control and I broke up with my partner because something happened. How does this, what is, how does this happen? So yeah, no, so this, this research is so provocative and this research is actually one of the things that also led me to get really excited about the topic of the birth control pill, because I was like, this makes perfect sense and it's, you know, holy moly, if this is true. Um, so there's been research for several decades showing that when estrogen changes across the cycle, that it's linked with um, an increased preference for things like facial masculinity, vocal masculinity, behavioral masculinity, essentially it just like increases women's attraction to sort of manly men, mas masculinity essentially. And even just maleness, like women are just like drawn, more drawn to men generally, like in and at high fertility in the cycle. So when estrogen is high relative to when it's low. And so that research had been going on for a very long time. And it was only more recently that researchers thought to ask, well, what happens on the birth control pill? Because when you're on the birth control pill, your estrogen levels are kept flatlined and very low. And then the dominant hormone is the synthetic progesterone or progestin. And so women are never in this state of like having this increasing preference for testosterone markers and masculinity. And so researchers ask, like, is it possible that when we're on the pill that we prefer less masculine male faces and voices and that sort of thing? And what the research found is that lo and behold, uh, women who are on hormonal birth control actually do prefer a somewhat less masculinized male face relative to what is preferred among naturally cycling women. And others have also found that women who are on hormonal birth control don't seem to be sensitive to cues of genetic compatibility that are communicated via scent. And um, so women who are on the pill tend to not really notice scent-based differences in 
things that um, these these cues that are related to genetic compatibility, it's specifically um, immune system related compatibility, and um, and also testosterone metabolites. So women who are naturally cycling are able to pick up on the scent of testosterone um, more readily than women who are on the pill. And so, what um, <laughs> what other researchers then thought to ask was, so what happens if a woman is on the pill and then goes off the pill? you know, sort of as you were talking about. And, you know, given that the pill seems to be impacting our preferences in, in these ways, then could it be that when you go off of it, that it sort of nudges you out of attraction to your partner? And, um, and so some other researchers have found evidence suggesting that that might be the case. And in particular, there was one really nicely done longitudinal study where the researchers found that if women chose their partner when they were on hormonal birth control and then went off of it, their attraction to their partner did change. Um, but what was really interesting about it is that they found that for some women, they became more attracted to their partner and they were more, you know, like sexually desirous of them. And then they reported more relationship satisfaction after they went off of it. And then for some women, it was the opposite and that it made them less attracted to their partner, lowered their relationship satisfaction and made them less likely to want to have sex with their partner. And, um, and the thing that impacted whether women went this way and became like more attracted or went that way and became less attractive was how attractive the partner was. And essentially what it kind of comes down to is that women who are on hormonal birth control seem less sensitive to cues of things like partner compatibility, like with, you know, genetic compatibility, less sensitive to cues related to sexiness. So some of those testosterone markers. And then when women go off of it, it's like the blinders come off. Right. And all of a sudden, like they are confronted with this array of cues that they weren't even able to pick up on before. So they're able to pick up on scent based cues to similar, you know, genetic compatibility and scent based cues to testosterone and, you know, um, visual cues to testosterone and, and all of these types of things. And for some women, it'll be like, oh, yeah, like this is great. Like they chose a partner who just happened to have these qualities that their non pill version of themselves would like most desire. And then in some cases it can lead women to say, Ooh, ew, like this isn't going to, this isn't working for me. And so, you know, this is something that women, I think it's important that women understand can happen. Um, it doesn't happen all the time. And, you know, and, and I think that for most women, because of the way that hormonal nudges work is they tend to make, give us little nudges this way and that way is that for most women it's not going to cause a big problem, but for some women it does. And for some women, it causes a big positive problem, right? Because they just want to have sex with their partner all the time. Because now that they're off the pill, they're just so attracted to them. Um, but so it can, but it can definitely nudge you one way or the other in terms of your preferences. I'm so curious. Does the does a birth control impact your relationships like in a non romantic way? So let's say like a work environment or a boss or a friend. Like how does that work in that kind of setting? That's a really interesting question. And it's not one that I've seen a lot of research on. So what I have seen, you know, they've, they've had research. Oh gosh, I'm trying to remember even what they found, but one thing that we can predict, for example, is, you know, we know that when women are naturally cycling, um, that there can be, um, th greater things like, uh, greater intersexual competition and that sort of thing right near ovulation. And so women can get more competitive with one another in particular. And, um, so one might expect that, th that their relationships with other women become a little bit more dynamic 
shall we say, um, when they're naturally cycling relative to what it is when they're on hormonal birth control. But I haven't seen any studies that have addressed that issue specifically. Um, there's also some work looking at um, uh, oxytocin signaling in the brain. And oxytocin is like a bonding hormone. And they've done some studies, and this was with romantic partners, but it could also um, potentially translate into our relationships with other close others, including children, because oxytocin is a big bonding um, hormone that gets released when we have a baby. And what the research seems to show is that women who are on hormonal birth control, that it seems to mess with their oxytocin signaling um, in, in response to the face of the one that they love. So normally when we see the face of somebody that we love, our brain will like, like our pleasure centers will come flushed with oxytocin. And it's just like makes us feel love and adoration for the person. And what the research has found is that for women who are on hormonal birth control, you don't get that effect. And this is something that could potentially impact, you know, mother-child bonding, um, which I think is really important to know because a lot of times when, you know, after a woman has a baby, the doctor is very quick to want to get her on birth control just to make sure she doesn't get pregnant again. But this is something that could potentially end up interfering with the early day bonding between mother and child. And this is something that I think deserves a lot more research. There's only been one study on this particular topic. And I think that it's one that's really important, particularly given the extent to which birth control is um, pushed on women postpartum. Yeah, I remember going to my, what is it, your six week uh, postpartum follow up and all my friends too, they told me when you go there, they're going to tell you, you got to get on birth control. Like it's one of the biggest topics, not as much like, how are you doing? Well, tell me about things. It's like, you've got to get on birth control. And, you know, luckily I'm very informed in this case, but a lot of my friends, they got scared to the, to the point where they started to take it because they were fearing another pregnancy. Um, something that I, else that I learned from you is that there's over the counter options now. So what's up with that and uh, why is that available and what are the challenges? This is one of these things that I feel very ambivalent about. And um, so there is a now an over-the-counter available birth control and it is a progestin only hormonal birth control product. And so when you take it every day, you get this daily dose of progestin, but it doesn't have any estrogen in it. And, um, and this type of hormonal birth control is by far the one that has the worst side effect profile in terms of mental health um, and also weight gain, by the way. Um, but the mental health thing is a lot more serious, um, although some women might argue otherwise. <laughs> but um, but the, me the mental health thing, obviously, um, you know, can have much more catastrophic, much more catastrophic influences. Um, and uh, so this is available over the counter. And this is the one that they made available because um, estrogen is thrombotic meaning that it can cause cardiovascular events in the body. Um, and, uh, and because of that, they don't want that over the counter because of the potential, you know, that if women who have heart related or cardiovascular risks are taking it, it can be very dangerous for them. But the unfortunate thing is that it's the, the estrogen in hormonal birth control that makes women feel most normal. Like, like the, the reason that it's in most forms of birth control pills is just because women feel so much better with a little bit of estrogen than without it. And so on the one hand, I love access, you know, like um, I want access to contraception for all women who seek it, um, particularly in this like dystopian, you know, post row era that we live in. Um, I think it's super important that we make sure that every woman who wants to protect her body from pregnancy is able to do it. 
I worry about having this available over the counter just because a person can take it. Nobody knows that they're on it. And then if they fall into a major depression, it can really be catastrophic. Um, and so I, I worry about that. And so it's one of these things where I feel really ambivalent about it because it's like, on the one hand, like if there's a teenage girl or, you know, whatever, who it, it, it's such a tough issue, you know, it's like, but especially for adolescents, because when we look at the mental health risks associated with hormonal birth control use, um, by far the people who shoulder the burden of, of depression and anxiety and even suicidality, because there's been studies looking at the risk of suicide um, on whether you've been prescribed hormonal birth control or not. And, um, and it's overwhelmingly shouldered by these young girls, like girls who are 19 and younger. And so when you have these young women who are going on the pill because they think that they're doing something positive for their body and they don't know that it can make them feel hopeless and that sort of thing. And nobody else knows that they're doing it. Um, I just, I really worry about that. And especially like the risk of, of suicide for these women, is, it's, it's um, six times higher, it's like 600%. So is another way to say it, it goes up 600% if you're on hormonal birth control compared to what you're not. And, you know, with the high suicide risk that we have, I mean, cause it's the, the rates have grown so high and especially among girls. Um, over the last 10 years, I just, I, I really worry about that. And so, you know, my answer to all of this, because, you know, it's like, I think of, I think, of, and I think about this a lot, because it's one of the, like, I, I think access is important. And I think that information is important. I um, mean, letting people know that you're doing this is important. So um, the answer, I guess, for me is like, just make sure if you're somebody who does want to use it, is that please let somebody that you know, know that you're on it. So that way they can help monitor you. Because the thing that people don't realize about mental health and about side effects of drugs is that you don't experience it as, oh, I'm having this side effect. You usually experience it and you don't experience it as, oh, I'm depressed. It's usually like, gosh, my life is terrible. I'm worthless. I'm not effective. I can't get things done. It's just like, we just assume that our life has gotten worse. We don't think that it's because of the drug we're taking. And we don't think that it's because we have depression. We just think that we suck and that we're not able to cope. And, um, and so that's why it's so important to have somebody else who's able to observe you from the outside and who can say like, you know, you haven't been yourself. Like, is everything okay? Um, and, and so I think that's really important. Yeah. It's almost like, I know resources are so, tight as is but it would be nice if for those young girls they had to have maybe a monthly check-in with the therapist or something if they were taking this because i understand also too that they're not always going to want to tell their parents that they're taking it or they're not going to want to tell their family members but maybe some outside party um would help with that i love yeah. that idea like even like if it was on the package for example like if there was like a a live video chat line that you can make an appointment with to talk about the effects or whatever like i think that would be a brilliant and hopefully at least would get some girls willing to make those contacts to talk to somebody about what they're putting into their body and what the risks are and so that way they know what to look out for and that way they tell a close other to keep an eye out on them if someone's listening sarah i'm pivoting a little bit and they're like okay i'm on birth control because i don't want to get pregnant what would your recommendation be with other resources for them to use to prevent a pregnancy so in, in terms of like going off something like going on to something different or what resources would i recommend I guess, yeah some, something different so if they're if they're on birth control right now and they're like okay i'm hearing all this stuff i don't want to be on it but i also don't want to get pregnant how do i manage 
not getting pregnant. If I, get I know. I hate this question. And I get it all the we time. We get it all the time too. Yeah, no. And the reason I hate it so much is because we don't have any good options. I, th- I think that they're all flawed. And so it's all about what trade-offs are you willing to make, right? And so my first response to that is educate yourself on the trade-offs that you make with hormonal birth control. Because once you understand what the range of effects that are possible are, some women will still land on birth control pills being the best thing for them. You know, and so educate yourself on what it all means. What are all the trade-offs that you're making when you're on the pill? And uh, and they might work for you. And at different points in your life, they might make sense. And at other, other points in your life, they might not make sense. So that would be the first thing I would recommend. The second thing is, you know, there's the other options that are available to you is there's the non-hormonal IUD, which is the copper IUD. And this is something that you know, they don't actually understand how it prevents pregnancy because you still ovulate. So you're still producing hormones, which is why most women will feel psychologically normal because they're having their regular hormonal cycles. Um, but, and they believe that it's the inflammatory response within in the cervix that is um, essentially what's responsible for preventing pregnancy because the uterus is like, we're not going to let anything implant because there's all this inflammation here. Um, and, but it, it can be painful for women. It's like not a, 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 it's not a pleasant experience having that inserted or taken out, particularly if you haven't had children, because when you have children, it softens your cervix and makes it a little bit less painful and it can cause painful cramping. And so there's, um, there's other concerns with it, but that that's one possibility. But if you don't mind a little bit of pain early on and the cramping, you're able to roll with it because the cramping usually gets a lot less bad over time but it's still not perfect. You know, that's not worth that. That's not a bad option to try natural family planning, um, which it used to be called, and now it's called the fertility awareness method. But, but although the fertility awareness people would say, how dare you liken this to this, but it, it's very similar. It's, um, it's essentially you're tracking your cycle um, and you're measuring your basal body temperature and your cervical mucus and essentially identifying the days in your cycle in which pregnancy is possible, and then either avoiding sex, having non-vaginal penile sex, or um, using condoms during that time, um, or or a gel like um, Fexi or something that can prevent pregnancy during uh, during times when you're in the fertile window. Um, and this is, you know, and and this is what I use. Like I track I track my cycle, and this is what I use. Um, so it works for me. Um, but I'm also a you know a partnered career woman, if I had a, if I accidentally was pregnant, it wouldn't be the end of the world. You know, um, if I was a teenager, I would absolutely never do this. And my cycles didn't really normalize until I was in my twenties. So it would not have been, it would have been a very challenging method for me for much of my life. And so that one's great because it's all natural, right? And it does put you more in touch with your body. Like I, I recommend even for women who aren't, you know, um, uh, keeping track of their cycle as a means of regulating their fertility. I definitely recommend it just for understanding yourself because it's like, I under, like, I know I have so much more respect for my body. (laughs) And now that I understand my cycle and like what's happening and my partner tracks my cycle. And so he's like, Oh, it's, it's day 27. Like, I like, don't worry. Like you just say whatever crazy thing you want. My husband's like that too. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. It's so funny. Yeah. He's like, he's like, I, he knows better than I do. And in fact, we had an argument the other day because I'm like, no, it's like day 26. He's like, no, Sarah, it's 27. You started uh, two weeks ago, Monday. <laughs> he was right. Yeah. 
I love that. Yeah, it was really funny. Um, I get pretty bad, like premenstrually, I'm kind of a bear. And so I think that he's very motivated to keep track of it. So that way he can, you know, sort of back slowly away. But um, uh, so for, you know, the um, fertility awareness method is also another um, method that's available. Condoms, of course. There's the gel Fexi, which um, some women don't experience positive reactions to, but others do, but it's the rate of failures. And I think it's, I don't know, it was 90%, but it's, it's, it's not as good as the pill. Um, and so it's another one where you have to kind of weigh what, what tolerance of, for risk you have given what's going on in your life. And, um, and I mean, that's, you know, that's about it. There's the diaphragm. Some people still use that. Um, it requires a little bit of planning just because you have to pop it on there and there's got to be spermicide and all these other things. Um, but it's it's a barrier. It's another barrier method. It's not perfect, but it can um, help women prevent pregnancy. There just aren't a whole lot of really good options. And my hope is that we come up with um, digital birth control that works better. So something along the lines of what we see with um, something like natural cycles, um, where th that's really effective and easy to use, um, I think is, is kind of a good direction to go in, um, in terms of what, you know, do I hope to see in the future? That's one thing I hope to see. Um, I'm really excited about this um, gel that's being tested in men that doesn't seem to interfere with their hormones at all, but that um, interferes. It's called like, it like essentially blocks the vas deferens, right? So it's like a vasectomy, but it's, it's uh, with some sort of a gel and it's reversible. Like it just disintegrates over time. And, and if this works and it doesn't have any side effects, I'm really excited about that. Um, I'm also excited about there was a um, there was a trial that was done on non-human animals um, just last year, and they found that there's this like weird like derivative of vitamin A where it's like and it doesn't seem to be used in anything else in the body except for for sperm production. And what they found is that in mice, if you block the absorption of this particular derivative of vitamin A, that it prevents sperm production but doesn't seem to do anything else. So, um, which is really interesting. So as long as sperm production, you know, cause the thing is like with women, when we prevent ovulation, that prevents us from making our hormones cause that's how we make our hormones. And so we need to learn more about like, what does sperm production do something else in the body besides just create sperm? But if it doesn't, and if we can prevent sperm production just by blocking something that the body doesn't seem to be using for anything else, I think it's brilliant. And that could also be another game changer. So I'm hoping that, you know, between digital products for women and some of these types of products for men that we might start to see some real innovation in this space, but it's, it's really, I mean, it's pathetic. Yeah. I, I remember a, a doctor recently saying that putting women on hormonal birth control makes their jobs easier and women's lives harder. And so I get it because for doctors, they're like, I just want to help this person here's a pill and but you're right there needs to be a lot more innovation in this space and i think uh in your book you also have is it a chart or something if people are interested in hormonal birth control there's all kinds of different options and you kind of break down what might be the better option for them is that right yeah so i've got two different charts so one of them talks about the four different generations of progestins and sort of what are some of the major side effects associated with each type because most women don't know that um all of the different commercially available hormonal birth control that they have like, a, there's a gazillion different kinds and they, they use, 
you know, a handful of different types of progestins, and they tend to be very different from one another. So for example, if you're on something like the hormonal birth control shot, like Depo-Provera, for example, that's a first generation mm -hmm. progestin and it's kind of androgenic. So it, it stimulates testosterone receptors and it does a bunch of other things. Um, whereas if you're on like a fourth generation progestin, which is like what's in something like Yaz or Yasmin, that's actually anti-androgenic and it blocks testosterone receptors. And so, I mean, and, and then there's everything in between. So you've got the second and third gen. And so I, I talk about what are the different types of progestins um, that are in the pill and then like what are the sort of major categories of side effects that we see with each. And then I also provide a big chart with the 50 or 100 most frequently prescribed types of hormonal birth control. And then I provide information with the breakdown of the amount of synthetic estrogen and uh, synthetic progesterone in each, what the progestin is that's in it and what generation it is. And so that way women can use that. And if they're having a terrible time on, let's say they're taking, I don't know, something with a third generation progestin and they feel terrible, that they can go to their doctor and say, okay, I know that I want to be on hormonal birth control, but this isn't working for me. Can we try something with a second generation progestin? And then shooting that way. Because I think that the a lot of the troubleshooting that needs to go on in terms of the pill has to do with how terrible the progestins make us feel. Because they're really the things that are responsible for a lot of the side effects. There's like sort of two big players, like two big movers and shakers in terms of bad side effects. Well, there's three. One is um, the progestins stimulate receptors in the body that aren't progesterone receptors. And so they have all these weird effects like stimulating glucocorticoid receptors or testosterone receptors. And that does weird things in the body and makes us feel bad. Second thing is our bodies start to release a lot of um, sex hormone binding globulin. And this is something that, that grabs onto testosterone and makes it, um, it makes it inactive. And so what we also see with women who are on the pill is that their testosterone levels are just absolutely in the toilet. And that doesn't make feel, people feel good either. It saps motivation. It saps sexual desire. Um, it makes us less interested in winning and competing. It just kind of like it's a motivational killer. So that's another thing that goes on. And the third thing, of course, is that we're blocking ovulation. And when we do that, we're not synthesizing our own hormones. And so we're never in this like estrogen dominant state um, that is very positive for us to be in for those short periods of time across the cycle. Like estrogen dominance long-term isn't like a good thing, but to have a little estrogen spike, the dynamic changes in estrogen and progesterone is something that's very healthy for us. And it's something that our brain and our body is adapted to because it's something that we've experienced throughout most of our human history until we interfered with the birth control. Oh my gosh. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to stop. You're a wealth of information. People are going to get so much out of this. And also what a great resource your book is, because I think sometimes we are all about telling people, sometimes you have to be your own advocate. And I feel like if you're on birth control, you want to get off, you're thinking about it, your daughter, whoever, I think this is such a good resource to have and say, I'm dealing with some of these symptoms. Maybe I can go to my doctor and talk about switching it up or getting off. So thank you for sharing all of this. I'm excited for your next book too and whatever's coming ahead for you. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, I think that it's really um, one thing that I, that with the book that I think has been important and, and I think is, is great is that it does give women in like an experience, like to look at what is possible in terms of the side effects. So that way they, they have had this suspicion that they're experiencing something, knowing that, okay, this could be my birth control. And then being able to, using the information in the book, being able to go to their doctor and say, here's what I'm on. 
I don't like it. Can we try this other one? And having a starting point for that, because a lot of doctors, especially GPs, like, you know, you're, you're just regular physician, which is where most women get their birth control from, um, have no idea even that there's different types of progestins. So for example, I, I was talking to somebody who's like a very well-known, a very well-respected uh, physician. He had no idea. He's like, I had no idea that there was four different generations. Because I mean, how, how could they? You know, it's like in, in, when you're learning general medicine, I mean, they're not going to talk about what can, constitutes birth control and like what's in it and what are these different things because they're, they're studying the whole body. And, um, and so having that information, most... If you have a good, thoughtful physician and you present them with that information and say, here's what I'm on, this is a type of progestin, and like, I think we maybe want to try something different. I'm thinking about this. Your doctor can then, you know, look at all of their references and just make sure that they think it's safe for you. But most women that I've heard from who've gone to their doctor and talked to them have had a really positive experience because doctors want, I mean, for the most part, if you have a thoughtful doctor, they want to help. They just don't know what to do because there's no research. You know, they're like, we want to help you, but we have nothing to give you except for the pill. It's true. No, well, we're, we're excited about this. And it's so great to hear that, you know, people are seeing it different and, you know, doctors are wanting to help. It's just important to be informed and understand the trade-offs. I wish I had this back in the day. So we're excited. We'll put all the inf your information, Sarah, in our show notes so people can follow you, learn more about you, get your book, but you're amazing. Thank you so, so much for being here today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.